Sunshine Coast Council acknowledges the Sunshine Coast country where this podcast was recorded, home of the Kabi Kabi peoples and Jinnabara peoples, the traditional custodians whose lands and waters we all now share. We wish to pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the important role First Nations people continue to play within the Sunshine Coast community. This podcast deals with topics some listeners may find distressing. If you need support, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, I'm Caroline Hutchinson and welcome to the Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast. Throughout the series, we'll examine a variety of disasters and ways of creating a culture of disaster preparedness, response and resilience within our community. In this episode, we're looking at storms. I think we got about 200 mils of rain. That's what caused a lot of the problem. And then the wind came in. Tonight, the region in lockdown as Cyclone Debbie edges closer. Well, it's really intensified here in the last half an hour. I'm actually struggling to stay on my feet right now. The winds that are blowing in from the coast are just incredible. We've heard that the Sunshine Coast has already received over 200 millimetres in some parts and another 200 millimetres of rain is on its way. March 28, 2017. Cyclone Debbie smashes into Australia's mainland near Airlie Beach bringing with it torrential rain and wind speeds reaching up to 250 kilometres per hour. Over the days that followed, Debbie moved its way south, leaving a trail of destruction and becoming the most expensive cyclone to have ever hit Queensland. Nationally, it's the second most destructive on record and is responsible for 14 deaths. By the time Debbie reached the Sunshine Coast, it had weakened from a Category 4 system into a tropical low but she still packed a punch as the Dillabar residents, Ross and Fran, found out. We had been watching the weather bomb all day, knowing that we were getting all this rain coming down the coast, so we were watching it and prepared for it. We'd lost power, so uh, we lost power in the afternoon, so we'd already been without power for a couple of hours, but we had secured a lot of our items around the house and we're just watching the weather bomb, seeing what was happening further north, weren't we, and waiting for it all Yeah, to I mean, the, the actual cyclone proper probably happened the day or two before, and it was, a f- by the time it got to us, this is Cyclone Debbie, by the time it got to us, it was classified as a tropical low. So, um, but it still had plenty of rain in it because I'm sure we got around about 200, 300 mils of rain in the 24-hour period prior to that. So we'd been watching it pouring down the gully, which is beside our house. Absolutely roaring. Roaring down the gully and it was like a river running down there and we've got some big gum trees that are rooted in that gully. The winds really picked up after midday and we had like really strong winds all afternoon I don't know how many kilometres now. I think it was over a 90 to 100, 120 kilometres an hour winds. And I don't know what direction they were going in, but... Well, the trees were going 
both ways. Yeah. We looked out at one stage and the trees were swirling one way and then they were swirling back the other way and uh, it was quite frightening. They were howling all day and, yes, as Fran said, it was it was scary. There's no doubt about it. It was pretty scary, mainly because the trees are very tall around our house and you sort of sense that something wasn't quite right. It was quite warm, so we still had our windows open and at one point I noticed that the rain was actually coming in under the veranda and through the windows. So I decided that I'd better close those windows. And as I was closing the windows upstairs, I noticed that one of the fly screens had um, flown off. And I'd called out to Ross to, um, could he go out and grab that fly screen before it got taken away with the wind? And uh, then I went downstairs to close the windows downstairs so it was directly below those upstairs ones. While I was on my way upstairs, just heard a crash, an almighty crash, and just called out, what was that? As I was walking up the stairs and I got to the top of the stairs and turned to look out the window and I couldn't see a thing. There was just a big tree that had smashed down, taken out the whole front veranda and was resting against the front door and the windows. And I knew that Ross had been outside and thankfully I heard his voice from the, um, from the other end of the house. Pretty much where I picked the fly screen up from was directly where the tree came down on our veranda and what had happened is the tree had landed on the veranda or the majority of it, and then the top of it was actually on on the roof of the house, smashing one of our um, solar panels at the the far end. And it had basically folded the veranda back in towards the house. That's why Fran couldn't see out the window because um, we just couldn't quite work out why it was so dark and, and whatever outside because it was pushed up against the house. And, yes, basically where the fly screen was outside where I'd picked it up from on the veranda only probably 20, 30 seconds before was exactly where the veranda came down. So, yeah, pretty lucky. And then also, had that tree continued to fall and come through and smash down, I was directly underneath where it would have fallen as well. But thankfully, uh, the ceiling, there were cracks in the ceiling, there were cracks in the wall but um, it hadn't actually come through. We didn't have any rain coming in. It yeah. hadn't broken the glass, but it was just there. that There was no front veranda at all. Yeah, so just prior to the actual tree coming down, we did notice that um, there was a wind change. Um, it had been howling in one direction all day, and then at uh, one particular stage we just sensed a bit of calm, and then there was a wind change, and you could actually see the trees they were all going one way and then they decided to all come back the other. So I'm suspecting what had happened is because we'd had so much rain in the gully, um, it had affected the roots of this rather large telewood tree and um, basically when the wind changed, it just didn't have anything to hold it into the ground and Wooshka landed on our roof and veranda. But in a way, we were were lucky in a lot of ways because it did hit the side of the bank 
in the little gully, which um, stopped it going all the way, which would have pushed it all the way into our roof. Our neighbours, Jan and Barry, were out on their deck at the time. Jan was actually filming the trees going every which way and uh, she happened to have her uh, camera facing the opposite direction, but they both heard the noise, turned around and said, I think that tree's just fallen on Fran and Ross's house. So... Fortunately, Barry, who was the original builder of our house, was over within five minutes because it was only five minutes later that the whole storm stopped. It was calm. Yeah. It was also just um, on dusk, so it was just getting dark and um, Barry was able to check out the position of the um, tree. Yeah. And also check out the damage. He was able to see that the tree was secure. It wasn't going to fall any further. It wasn't going to do any more damage. So we invited him in and had a glass of red wine by candlelight. Very romantic. talked about how lucky we were that um, we hadn't been injured ourselves. Meanwhile, six months later and a $50,000 bill... Well, it was actually was seven, seventy-six thousand. You know, that's that's a lot of damage. Well, we're fortunate that our insurance did cover that. After we um, experienced that incident, I guess we did a bit of an evaluation of the whole property and decided there was uh, a number of trees that, uh, if we had another storm like that, could possibly hit our house. So we had an arborist come out and do an evaluation, and. Um, Yes, we spent quite a bit of money cutting down any tree that we thought um, could possibly hit our house in if we had another storm similar. So we did all that and um, it certainly opened up the area a little bit. To learn more about storms on the Sunshine Coast, I headed out to the fire and rescue station to chat to Peter Harkin. Peter is the Emergency Management Coordinator at Queensland Fire and Emergency. Yeah, so my role is uh, really to work mainly with councils in the North Coast region around preparedness and planning and also operationally during disaster events. So we do a lot of work in terms of training. We provide training to uh, most of our uh, local government and other stakeholders. We work together with the police as well. We also help with the preparation of plans, disaster plans. We assist and participate in uh, disaster exercises. So traditionally, we would run an annual exercise or two on the Sunshine Coast to make sure that we're prepared for any disaster events. And and certainly too, when things such as uh, you know, bushfires or storms hit or uh, cyclones, then I work together with the uh, council in their disaster coordination centre to provide support and advice to them at an operational level. And I guess people have noticed that in the community that when there is a storm, you know, you are part of the emergency response team is QFES, even if it isn't a house burning down. Yeah. Um, That's just because you are prepared for anything. Well, we are a a multifaceted organisation, QFES or Queensland Fire and Emergency Services. So we not only have, uh, you you know, the guys that get around the big red trucks putting out fires, but we have our our colleagues in rural fire as well. So they're the guys that get out there and uh, uh, work on the bushfires. Uh, State Emergency Service, so the guys in Orange, our SES colleagues, uh, they're out there particularly during storms and floods helping out the community. And then there's the emergency management side of the uh, of the business as well, and that's the area that I work in, uh, and that works across all the services as well as with our external stakeholders. 
All right, well, let's talk storms. Mm -hmm. What sort of storms do we usually see on the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, so, um, you know, living in the southeast as we are, uh, we, we see uh, what we call, you know, uh, a range of different storms, but certainly we've been uh, seeing some severe storms, severe thunderstorms. So uh, typically uh, we've uh, most recently last week we saw a severe thunderstorm uh, that uh, impacted Maroochydore. So typically we get those uh, storms that hit and typically, you know, would um, come with lots of wind and rain and, and, and can cause the damage and knock out power and things like that. So we certainly get our share of storms. We're in that sort of zone, I suppose, um, that hit from the severe to sort of the more routine to hail storms and, and everything else in between. So what time of the year do we see most of our storms? Yeah, so typically uh, our storms season, if you like, uh, are during the warmer months, so uh, generally from September through to April. But... You know, we have to remain alert for those other times and we saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week here at Maroochydore uh, when we did see a severe thunderstorm come through with lots of hail and things like that. So, But generally that's our, that's our period that we're looking at. So what about cyclones? I mean, we're fairly far south. Uh, how often would you expect to see a cyclone on the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, certainly uh, we're not immune from, uh, uh, from having our uh, share of cyclones as well. Um, uh, in years gone by, uh, the uh, line, if you like, was probably Bundaberg North. But certainly most recent modelling has shown that we are at risk certainly of, um, of uh, being impacted by cyclones as well. So we're quite uh, aware of that. We're extra vigilant when we also plan and prepare for those cyclones, although we've been lucky in the last couple of years. I think Cyclone Debbie 2017 was the last uh, ex-tropical cyclone that impacted the Sunshine Coast. So what impacts can Storm have? What are the things that you are mitigating? Yeah, so the key the key things that we're looking for in terms of trying to mitigate around storms is uh, preparing for that high, those high winds, the damaging and high volumes of rain, hail, which can cause damage to houses, you know, buildings and also cars. And typically we'll see that you know, flooding or flash flooding particularly. So what we're seeing there is roads being cut uh, and um, you know, uh, perhaps damage to roads and, and infrastructure as well as um, uh, power being taken out. So And then the uh, other things that come along with that are trees that are being knocked out and, and across roads and across people's homes and things like that. So the associated, associated damage of that, that type of thing. I look at weather systems around Australia and, you know, in other places you might hear that there's 70 or 80 mils of rain and it might shut Sydney down, yeah. you know, whereas we'll take 120 mils of rain without a blink really. Yeah. Uh, uh, but when does it start to get really serious for you guys? How many mils are you looking at and where is it most likely to flood on the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, good question. So I, I typically um, storms come in all sorts of different sizes and, and duration and it's all around you know, you're right, we can take a lot of rain here and we often talk about the fact that we can take a couple of hundred mil of rain in a 24-hour period without too much problem because we have that good uh, ability to get that uh, runoff going. But if we have you know, high volumes in a specified area in a short period of time, then we know we're going to have problems, you know, and uh, that's when we're going to have um, – we're going to have flash flooding, damage to flooded houses and, and things like that, trees down and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's probably hard to answer because it just depends on, you know, uh, what the volumes are and over what period of time. But yeah. certainly we can't handle large volumes of rain right. here on the coast. And then I guess river flooding is probably the one that we see impact us the most. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, creeks and rivers are probably two of the key areas. 
And, you know, we often see that particularly after sustained rainfall um, and particularly then if we get some storm activity on top of that, we'll see river and creek levels rise and then the subsequent problems that'll go with that. Typically, it'll start with flooding to houses and then flooding to roads and then any damage from there. So, uh, you know, for an example of that would be down along Brabant Avenue. You know, we might see the uh, high tide as well as, uh, you know, uh, lots of rainfall and then we'll see it water up over the road and that'll impact the, the, the residents along there. Being on the radio, I can tell you that it's going to be Bradman Avenue, it's going to be the bottom of Crosby Hill, Crosby Hill Road, Road and it's going to be uh, Udlow Flat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. They're, they're the first three to go. Yeah. And, and, and I think we've, we've seen all those this year, yeah. uh, definitely. And yeah. most recently last month or the month before last where we had Lots of flooding around Cunder Park and Udlow yes, Flats yeah, and, yeah. and that area there. I think Crosby Hill went under as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're our typical hotspots. So what are the dangers of floodwaters? So, uh, yeah, dangers of floodwaters, obviously the key thing there is, you know, a, a real risk to people um, going into floodwaters. Uh, so we've got a risk of injury and, and, and of course, loss of life if, if uh, you know, you, you should so happen to drive into floodwaters. We uh, always reiterate that message around if it's flooded, forget it, turn around. There's got to be a better way, uh, find another way through. Uh, so if it's flooded, forget it. Um, the, the other risks of uh, flooding, of course, are damage to property. Uh, floodwaters cause a lot of damage to our roads and our infrastructure. They'll often take out uh, our power transformers and things like that, so a loss, loss of power. Uh, and, um, you know, for sustained flooding and particularly that flooding that hangs around for a few days, we can then see, you know, disease and, and you know, things like that that may occur to people that go into floodwaters. So we always encourage people to stay out of floodwaters and, uh, you know, wait for them to recede and then and we'll go in and do the clean-up from there. So you're in a flood-prone area and a, a power line comes down. What should you do? Look, just stay right away from it. We always encourage people to assume that power lines are live whether they're not or whether they are, just treat every power line as being live. Warn others, stay away from it. Ring triple zero straight away to let the uh, emergency services know what's going on, and we'll we'll organise someone to get out there and uh, disconnect that or, or take take care. But certainly, try and prevent anyone from going near it. You, you know, yeah. first and foremost, make sure that people all stay away from that. And um, it's the only way to go, isn't it? To oh, assume that it's live. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's exactly right. And we saw that. Um, last week during the storm where there was a tree came down with some power lines on some people in a car and they rightly stayed in the vehicle for a while until the emergency services could get to them, disconnect the power and then let them out safely. So that was a that was a good job. So storm season's coming. Yep. How do we prepare at home? Yeah, so uh, really important. I mean, I guess we talk about being prepared and we, we, we often talk about the importance of being prepared, we, 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 which is a lot of the reason we do the work we do. It's around trying to encourage the community to be prepared for storms because studies have shown that people who are prepared tend to bounce back quickly. Uh, it saves money uh, for them and the community and also governments and it leads to a, a, a much more resilient community. So that's a lot of the, the stuff that we talk about. So when we talk about uh, making a plan, we talk about uh, – you know, having a look at what the risks are around your home, uh, being aware of what your exposures are and what what things are that may impact you in your home in your area. I mean, you talked some of those hotspots before. For mm-hmm. example, if you mm-hmm. live down on Bradman Ave, being aware of what happens during a flood. I live up at Budrum. You know, we've got a lot of bush behind us, so we're very very aware of the trees and making sure that our place is clean of leaves and things like that or, or you know, that what can happen during that. So being aware of your, your environment is really important. Uh, having a plan for those contingencies should they should something happen. So, you know, you can't always plan for everything. And 
you know, I'm not here to say that, you know, have an exact plan for everything, but just thinking about what those risks are and then thinking and talking to your family about, okay, if this should happen, then what, what are we going to do? Yeah. So having a plan. And that's maybe in the back of your mind, but it's a conversation you have as a storm is approaching or, you know, you yeah. feel like you might be getting closer to a decision having to be made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like we always talk about that with our family and with our, with our kids and, and making sure that we just have a plan for some of those more critical issues. But like I say, we've got bush at the back of ours, so what happens if a bushfire comes, what are we going to do? So earlier we heard from Ross and Fran who had a tree hit their house yep. during Cyclone Debbie. They live in a really woody area. Is there anything in particular people in bushland settings should be doing? Yeah, I think both for storm and fire, uh, people in those environments need to probably be a little extra vigilant. So leading up to a storm, for example, I think, you know, as I do, I live in a, uh, uh, an area where we have bush at the back. You know, we have to annually clean our gutters out, make sure we trim the trees off uh, from the back of the property and away from the house to try and minimise those, uh, uh, you know, the chance of it impacting. Uh, you, you, you can't always you know, solve every problem and, you know, there's going to be instances where trees may come across our fence or across our property, uh, in which case, you know, we have SES out there that can come and assist us. But certainly, you know, if you can, try and identify those trees at risk, get rid of them, uh, clean your gutters out and just try and clear your property as best you can in terms of preparation for storm uh, and flood. Same really applies for bushfire, really. If for those people living in those, um, uh, you know, bushland areas, uh, it's always a good idea to make sure you've got a, a, a good area around your house that's cleared uh, so as to uh, prevent, you know, or act as a fire break. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, that'll then minimise the, the risks around fire impacting your property as well. So, yeah, certainly we encourage people in those areas to to try and clear things up as best they can in preparation for the season. It's so nice to live in a bushland setting, but they can play a role in natural disasters, can't they? Oh, definitely, yes. Uh, you know, and... And quite often we see that, you know, that it does pose uh, extra risks, but, you know, with some sensible planning and some uh, maintenance and, and strategies around the house, it generally will help a lot. What about an evacuation kit? Does every household need one? Oh, look, um, we, we try and encourage people to have an emergency kit or an evacuation kit. I guess the, the key message there is what we try to encourage people is to have a kit ready so that if you are isolated by floodwaters or bushfire or, or you do need to evacuate, that you can kind of self-sustain for about three days. That's, that's the kind of the... the, the, the so we're message. talking food, water, first aid kit, batteries, radio, toiletries, torch. People have got these things at home. That's right. But you just need to have access to them in an emergency. So, for example, if, if for example, we... And, and typically for a cyclone or, or bad um, storm events, although some storms can come across us pretty quickly, you know, it might be that we, we, we are made aware that we, we're going to be impacted by, by a cyclone event. Then, you know, a few days beforehand, it'd be a good idea to just take stock of what you've got, making sure that your first aid kit's there, you know where everything is, and, you know, you can put things together quickly if you need to. Being evacuated in a bushfire scenario, for example, as we saw the people up around Perigian were a couple of years ago, uh, you know, having an emergency or an evacuation kit in those circumstances would be fantastic. Uh, so following the warnings, seeing what's happening and trying to put have your stuff prepared and together in an evacuation kit or emergency kit would be really handy when you're being evacuated as well. And be ready to make that decision, to know what your decision is um, yeah, yeah. so you're ready when something happens. Yeah, absolutely, too. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, totally, um, yeah. All right. Um, where are we supposed to get our good information about dangerous storms? I mean, you know, there's a lot of 
information on the internet? There is. And look, uh, you need to be really careful about where you're getting that information from because, uh, you know, some of these social media sites aren't uh, fantastic in terms of accuracy. So we always encourage people to stick to the ones, stick to the sources of information that are validated and we know are correct. So, um, you know, we, we often talk about the uh, Sunshine Coast Council website, they've got a disaster hub. It's a fantastic central point where all the information is held and there's links to each of the other emergency services and, and, and road information and other things that people need. So if there, I guess from my point of view, if there's one uh, disaster site for people living in the Sunshine Coast area, that'd be it. Go to the disaster hub on, on council's website, put it into your favourites and it's an easy one for uh, when, you, when you need it. There's also some fantastic information on Get Ready Queensland website, so getready.qld.gov.au. The Bureau of Meteorology is one I use daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always look at what's happening with the weather. They get some fantastic predictions and also too, it's got live radar so you can see where the storms are and, and if there's any impact for our area. So again, that's one I use all the time. Uh, the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services website's also got some uh, a fantastic information, particularly around bushfire and bushfire information. I guess uh, a couple of key numbers to keep in uh, keep handy: uh, the State Emergency Service or SES one three two five hundred. If you are impacted or you need help that uh, with your uh, damage to your property or something like that, then give the SES a call. They can come and help you. If it is a life endangering situation. Uh, where someone is, it's a critical situation, then please just dial triple zero and the police or ambulance or fire service can come and assist you there. Even if you're unsure, if there is, if it's a life endangering situation, just dial triple zero. And each of the other agencies, including transport and main roads, have their own information mm-hmm. sites. So if you're worried about taking a trip to Brisbane then uh, and you need some information about what's happening on the roads, then you can certainly uh, uh, jump onto the Transport and Main Roads website or dial their uh, hotline of 13 19 40 to Thank you. Um, the bottom line, um, disaster preparation really is it's a community effort, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. And, um, you know, like organisations like ours, like Queensland Fire and Emergency Services, you know, we train throughout the year and we have our resourcing ready to go and to help the community as best we can. But it is very much a collective or something that we have to do together with other members of the community or with uh, with people within the Sunshine Coast. So it's uh, it's something that we're all in it together. Uh, so we need to work together to try and uh, help each other out and, and try and make sure that we're well planned and then we can bounce back better afterwards. Unlike North Queensland, the risk of Category 4 or 5 cyclones are quite low on the Sunshine Coast. However, the threat of strong winds, dangerous seas and flooding is quite real. The wet season starts with thunderstorms around September and cyclones can occur from December to April. Dangers are inherent in all floodwaters and they should not be entered. Whether you're on foot, in a rubber dinghy, on a bodyboard or in your vehicle, if it's flooded, forget it. When it comes to extreme weather events and emergency situations, it's not a matter of if, but when. There are three easy steps you can follow to get ready. Step one is to create a household emergency and evacuation plan so that everyone in your household knows exactly what to do if the worst happens and you need to leave your home quickly. Step two is to pack supplies, have an emergency and evacuation kit ready. If you are unable to leave your home for an extended period, your emergency kit will equip your household for up to three days of isolation. Your kit should be tailored to meet the needs of your household and might include items like fresh water, non-perishable food, a can opener, a first aid kit, portable radio, torch, 
sturdy gloves, spare batteries, essential medication, mobile phone and charger, important documents and cash sealed in bags, baby formula, nappies, waterproof bags and toiletries. An evacuation kit is for times during an emergency where it becomes unsafe for your household to stay at home and should contain only essential items for each household member that they can quickly and easily grab and go. Your evacuation kits could include a blanket, sleeping bag, kids' toys and entertainment, pillows, warm clothes, valuables and mementos, essential medication, mobile phone and charger, important documents and cash in sealed bags, disinfectant wipes, baby formula, nappies and toiletries, including tissues, hand sanitizer, and face masks. Step three is to make sure your insurance is up to date. To learn more about all types of disasters and emergencies, visit Council's Disaster Hub website, disaster.sunshinecoast.qld.gov.au. It's your one-stop shop to find the latest updates, practical resources and what to do before, during and after an emergency. Remember, if you decide to clear any trees on your property, ensure that you have the correct permits. You can visit Sunshine Coast Council's website for more information. In the next episode of the Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast, we look at building resilience to disaster in children. Some children from St Joseph's Primary School tell us what this means to them and I chat with school teacher Brett Strathan and Linda Williams from the Sunshine Coast Council about the school's program. Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast is hosted by Caroline Hutchinson. Recording and production by Josh Newth. Didgeridoo played with the acknowledgement of country by Kerry Neal. Special thanks to our guests... Ross Newth, Fran Newth, and Peter Harkin. Additional audio from Seven News.